Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. In the British Museum in London, there's an old mariner's chart drawn in 1525 outlining the North American coastline. The cartographer who created the map did so from information gleaned from ocean-going crews of the day. There were notations on where reefs might be and where the best harbors could be found. But there were certain sections that were relatively blank, and in those sections were notations like the following, Here be giants. Here be fiery scorpions. Here be dragons. Before the map made its way to the British Museum, however, it was the prized possession of a British explorer by the name of Sir John Franklin in the 1800s. But in spite of its value, Sir John Franklin was offended by the fear that the ancient mariners had, and so he scratched out the inscriptions. And in place of the phrases that had once read, Here be giants, here be fiery scorpions, here be dragons, he wrote these words across the map. Here is God. Here is God. Here is God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. Knowing of God's presence in our lives, each of us can live fearlessly and boldly for Christ. And in the unknown, uncertain, and intimidating things of life that make us fearful, we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but He does give us power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 and 2 read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the final will and testament of the Apostle Paul. These are his last words, and thus with anyone's final words, this should cause us to listen to them with concern and commitment. Paul had been arrested a second time and imprisoned because of his faith in Christ and for preaching the gospel. He's awaiting his execution as he writes this letter. The letter starts with the name Paul, and the name Paul means small or little. But the Apostle Paul's ministry and impact for Christ was anything but small and little. Paul became a very different man after his salvation on the Damascus Road. On that day, the greatest persecutor of the kingdom church became little before his master and Lord, and then from that point on, his Savior used him greatly in his humility. And by the will of God, Paul was called to be an apostle, or a sent one, by Jesus Christ. And he was not so as a result of the kingdom program needing another apostle. Paul's apostleship was unique, as he was called to be an apostle by the will of God, in order that God might reveal a message to him a message which had been kept secret and hid in the mind of God, and then that Paul might make that message known as the apostle of the Gentiles. 
Paul did not put himself in that position as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was sent by Christ. Paul was a man under orders from the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, the content of Paul's epistles are not suggestions. He is conveying the words and will of Jesus Christ to the church, the body of Christ. Paul wrote that his apostleship was according to the promise of life. And the thought of the promise of life must have been a comforting thought for the apostle as he faced his impending death knowing that he had eternal life according to God's promise who cannot lie. The promise of life is comforting for all of us in our mortality, knowing that we have the sure hope of life in Christ Jesus. It allows us to face our death without the spirit of fear. Paul goes on to further speak of the promise of life in verse 10, stating how Christ hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The promise of life and life eternal is based in Christ Jesus and in what he has done for us through his death and resurrection. Paul's ministry and message as an apostle was based on and according to the promise of life as revealed to him in the revelation of the mystery, which shows how all can receive eternal life today under grace through faith alone in Christ's death and resurrection. And to the gospel of grace, Paul had been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, and it was given to him to proclaim this good news to all and to the nations as the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul's life, ministry, and message didn't have a random focus He had a razor-sharp focus, and that focus was the gospel, the good news of the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life comforted Paul as he faced his death, and he took comfort in writing his faithful co-laborer, Timothy, his dearly beloved son, as he calls him. Many years had passed since the Lord had used Paul to lead Timothy to the Savior, And Paul had watched him mature in the faith and grow strong spiritually. And Timothy had become very near and dear to the heart of Paul. To Timothy, Paul wrote, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Given Paul's present circumstances of being in prison, he might have written, Pain, mistreatment, and misery accompany me. But instead, he selflessly wrote Timothy, Grace, mercy, and peace to you. Paul's usual salutation was grace and peace in 10 of the 13 letters he wrote, but he added mercy here to the salutation. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, he added mercy, and no doubt this was because of the troublous times and circumstances these men of God labored under, and Paul knew that pastors needed the mercy of God. Every single letter that Paul wrote, without exception, all 13 of them, begins with some form of the words grace to you. And every single one of them ends with some form of the words grace be with you. There are no exceptions. So why is it that it always is grace to you at the beginning of the letters and grace be with you at the end of the letters? 
And here's something for you to consider. As the letters begin, God's grace and peace is being given and mediated to the readers by the words and truth of each letter from God the Father and God the Son by God the Holy Spirit. As the letters end, people have received grace from God through the reading or hearing of these truths. But Paul knew that the readers would then leave and return to the troubles and daily grind of life in this world. Thus, Paul prayed that this grace, which they had now received through the word of God, would be with them as they returned to their daily lives, that they would remember, carry, and apply these truths to their hearts and lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-5 to read, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul recalled various things in verses 3 to 5, and in verse 3 he told Timothy that he remembered him constantly in his prayers. Paul prayed with feeling and with heart, and as he prayed for Timothy, he did so without ceasing, night and day, emphasizing to Timothy that he prayed for him all the time, at all hours of the day. Paul knew that his own time of service was rapidly drawing to a close. He knew that Timothy would be left alone, humanly speaking, to carry on as a witness for Christ and to stand for the truth of the message of grace. Paul knew of the difficulties that Timothy would face, and so Paul prayed continually for his son in the faith. And Paul greatly desired to see Timothy. Later in the book, he wrote in chapter 4, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me then do thy diligence to come before winter. Paul really wanted Timothy to come to him in Rome and for, T- and for Timothy to be diligent in doing so. In other words, he wanted him to hurry. He needed to be comforted by his presence. And the presence of other believers helps us to overcome the spirit of fear as we draw on the faith of others. It seems that the last time that Paul and Timothy had been together and parted, that Timothy had broken down in tears. And this was likely when Paul was arrested. But his tears had made such a deep impression on Paul. And he could not forget Timothy's tears as he prayed for him. As Paul recalled Timothy's tears, he also remembered his unfeigned faith. Unfeigned has the idea of unhypocritical, genuine, sincere, having no mask, no phoniness, just like Timothy's tears were. His faith was the same. And he, he reminded Timothy that this kind of faith also dwelt in his grandma Lois and in his mom Eunice. By their genuine faith, they had influenced Timothy and taught him the scriptures as Timothy grew up. 2 Timothy 3.15 reads, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Pastoral Epistles is a hardcover, 300-page commentary written by Pastor Cornelius R. Stamm, founder of the Berean Bible Society. This volume is a verse-by-verse exposition of Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. It thoroughly examines the Apostle's description of the form and function of the local church, as well as the qualifications that he gives for leadership. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.BereanBibleSociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.BereanBibleSociety.org Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-7 to 7 read, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The following story by an unknown author gives us an illustration of how one believer, not exercising their gift in the body, can affect the message produced by the entire body of Christ. It's called a broken key. Even though my typewriter is an old model, it works quite well, except for one of the keys. I have many times wished that it worked perfectly. It is true that there are 41 keys that function well enough, but just one key not working makes the difference. Sometimes it seems to me that our church is something like my typewriter. Not all the key people are working properly. You may say to yourself, well, I am only one person. I don't make or break the church. But it does make a big difference because a church, to be effective, needs the active participation and gifts of every person. So the next time you think your efforts are not needed very much, remember my typewriter and say to yourself, I am a key person in the congregation and I am needed very much. This is what happens to the whole church, and multiply this by many times, the whole thing just does not make sense. Don't be like a broken key. Utilize your spiritual gift. The local body of Christ needs you and cannot be the same without you. It affects how the message of Christ through the church is communicated to the world. Every believer is strategic, important, and key to the church. We each have a gift that needs to be used in the church and for it. We also have a responsibility before the Lord to do so who gave us our gift by His grace. After sharing with Timothy his remembrances of him, his tears, his faith, and the faith of his mother and grandmother, Paul turned to put Timothy in remembrance of something. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Timothy had a responsibility to use his ability, his gift, for the Lord. Like all believers, he too was key to the church. Paul says, wherefore, or in light of that genuine faith that dwelt in him, 
Timothy was to carry out this instruction by faith. Paul was concerned for Timothy and encouraged him to not waver just when a strong stand was so greatly needed. The term stir up means to fan into flame. It has the picture of trying to coax fire from a dying ember, placing dry kindling on a glowing coal, and blowing on it or fanning it to create a flame. Paul's challenging Timothy to renew his commitment to use his gift of God that had been given to him by God. He had been designed by God for a certain function, for leadership and instruction as a pastor within the body of Christ. Every believer in Christ has been given a spiritual gift, Ephesians 4, 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us in the body of Christ has a gift by the grace of God, and we are called to use it for Him. All of us in the body of Christ possess divine enablement to use the gift and to serve the Lord. Like any gift... You don't earn it, and you don't choose it. By grace, God gives every believer the spiritual gift that He sovereignly wants to give for our function in the church. God gave a gift to Timothy. That gift needed a burning zeal to carry it out and to use it. Paul reminded Timothy to get that fire going again, to rekindle it, keep it alive, keep it blazing. And it is God's will for us, too, that we also stir up our gifts, that we ignite our God-given abilities and use them and use ourselves to the utmost for God's glory. But God makes the degree of the flame of His gifts dependent on His grace, the Holy Spirit, and our fanning them into flame by faith by a continuous action of us using them and growing in our faith. So like Timothy, we need to keep feeding and using our gifts, fanning them in the flame by living for the Lord, making ourselves available in the church for His use. Because our passion for serving God can grow cold, and the flame can go out if we do not. Timothy had received his pastoral leadership gift By the putting on of my hands, verse 6 says. The reason Paul mentioned the laying on of hands is to affirm that Paul knows that he had a gift that he needed to stir up. The question then becomes, does this take place today? And the answer is that it does not. The miraculous ability to confer a gift by the laying on of hands was given to Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. At ordinations, when men of God lay hands on someone, it's just a public recognition of a gift that Christ has already given that person. Timothy's gift, however, was conferred to him supernaturally during the Acts transitional period. During this time, the sign gifts and miraculous things like this still took place. But the sign gifts ceased with the completion of of the Word of God. However, God does still gift believers, giving a special ability to use in His service, but it's done entirely apart from the laying on of hands. By faith, 
Timothy needed to stir up his gift. Because it wasn't a time for letting his fire die in serving the Lord. And it wasn't a time for the spirit of fear. Police found it hard to believe, but an unarmed housewife once captured three burglars single-handedly. The woman had come home and found three men loading household items into their car parked in her driveway. She pulled her van behind their car and then ordered the men to carry her belongings back into the house and to sit on the couch until the police arrived. Later, when asked why they didn't escape, she replied, The Lord was with me, and I wasn't going to move my van so they could get away. What was I going to do, run away? That lady did not have the spirit of fear. We're taught here that God has given me a gift, but he has not given me the spirit of fear, but he has given me power, love, and a sound mind by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to accept what God has not given us, the spirit of fear. And we do need to humbly receive and walk in what God has given us, power, love, and a sound mind. Speaking of God not giving us the spirit of fear, in the book of John, we learn how plans had been made by the Jews to seize our Lord and to kill him after Lazarus' resurrection. John 11 states, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. What follows those verses in John 12 is Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That bold entrance showed the fearlessness and boldness of our Lord. He made himself very easy to find as he descended the Mount of Olives with this huge crowd yelling, shouting, and praising, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It was like the Lord saying, you're looking for me? Well, here I am. He couldn't have made it plainer where he was in his boldness. He knew they desired to kill him and were trying to find him, and he boldly entered the city, presenting himself as the king and Messiah of Israel. There was no spirit of fear with Christ. The spirit of fear comes not from God, says the apostle. It comes from the weakness of our flesh, and it comes from Satan. It is one of the enemy's greatest weapons used against the believer to hinder the gospel and to keep believers from standing for the truth of Paul's message of grace for today. In this context, we see that God did not give us a gift to be used in his service and then give us a spirit of fear that would negate the use of that gift and keep us from using our gifts. But rather, he has given us power, love, and discipline in order that we might operate our gift to their fullest by him. Verse 7 says that God has given us, past tense, already in the bank, power, love, and a sound mind. 
When you became a believer, God gave you power. Because when you became a believer in Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. And thus we have the power of God within us. So we are to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, Ephesians says. In the book of Micah, after Micah condemned false prophets, he asserted his own power to reveal God's word as a true prophet, stating, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might. Likewise, each believer is full of power by the indwelling Holy Spirit. When you became a believer in Christ, you received divine capacity to love with God's love, because it says in Romans 5.5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, giving us love by the Spirit, in turn, teaches us about the power He has given us by the Spirit. God's power is expressed in how much we can love others. On the night before the cross, John 13 states that Christ, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from God and went to God, what you see next that He did with all that power was that He humbly washed His disciples' feet. When you were saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit works His fruit out in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and the last one is temperance, or self-control, discipline, a sound mind. The Greek word translated as sound mind has the idea of a calm, self-controlled mind, which is in contrast to the panic, anxiousness, and confusion that comes from fear and in a fearful situation. So through the Spirit, we have power, power which displaces the spirit of fear and gives us the boldness to stand for the truth, the ability to serve the Lord and others, and strength to be a blazing hot testimony for Christ through the practice and use of our gifts. Through the Spirit, we have love, giving us the sensitivity and concern for the lost, giving us compassion and a desire to give our life away for God and to share His truth with others. And as 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. Through the Spirit, we have a sound mind, giving us the discipline and control needed to overcome fear and the worries and lack of control that accompanies fear. A sound mind is about having the humble, selfless mind of Christ. It is to think and live by God's sound wisdom in His Word. Thus, in our service to God and in our stand for the truth, we have power to do that task, love to care and see the importance of that task. We have the discipline to accomplish that task, all without the spirit of fear. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.